So we are continuing this uh, series that we started last week as we're studying our way through the book of Galatians. And this is a a New Testament letter. Uh, It was written by Paul, just like he wrote several uh, different books of the New Testament. And as we've seen, this Galatians is a little bit unique. And we saw that last week as we started uh, into this letter. We started with the intro of the letter where Paul starts um, teaching from the very first word. And in fact, we saw last week in the, literally the intro of the letter, he gives us some filters that, that we should use to, to decipher the true gospel, right? And, and to, to see the truth of, of, of who God is and his teaching compared to false teachings and the false gospels that are out there. Um, in fact, we saw these, uh, these four filters that, that he gave us, and they are to, um, uh, to look at divine inspiration, not human authority. Is there unity from within the body of Christ? Does it come with a loving heart? And does it support the foundational truths of the gospel? And these, again, are filters we can use to decipher is, is, is this teaching that we're hearing, that we're receiving, that, that is coming to our lives, is it trustworthy? Is it something that I should base my life on or is it not? Um, and so today, though, I just want to dive right back into the text. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, so if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Galatians chapter 1. Uh, if you're with us in person and don't have your own Bible with you, there are Bibles uh, provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. And you'll find the page number there included on where you can find it in those Bibles. Um, so again, we read the, the, the first couple of, well, first 10 verses of, the, of chapter 1 last week, and we're going to dive right back in where we left off. Um, so Galatians 1, um, we're going to pick up at verse 11, where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion and how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter and I stayed with him For 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. And I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. And after that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still uh, the Christians in the churches of Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. And I want to pause there before we continue on into chapter 2, because um, this, this section, in fact, this entire text that we're looking at today, and I encourage you to just leave your Bible open. We're going to go back to it a couple different times. Um, but as we look at this entire text, this entire section of this letter can really be a struggle. In fact, I'll tell you, this week in, in my preparation, as I went over this text many times, as this is my normal routine in preparing for messages each week is, is this text was a struggle. 
Because um, there's this, this weird tone of this letter. And like we saw in the beginning part, like the tone of this letter of Paul's writing is a little different than, than others. Again, we remember it, it, is, um, it is more personal. It is less formal than a lot of his other letters. And, and he is incredibly passionate. And yet, as we see this tone comes out, like one of, I think, the misconstrued of, of Paul in general, and especially even of his writings, is, is that there, there are some that believe that Paul was actually very arrogant and self-centered in the way that he wrote and the way that he led. And, and, and as I read this text, there's part of it that say, well, I, I mean, I can see how you can come to that conclusion in his writing, right? Is, is he arrogant? Is he self-centered? Or is he humbly leading God's pursuit to save the Gentiles? Right? And as we read this, there are verses, again, that if you just take these little bits and pieces of these verses in this text, right, that you can come out with the conclusion that, no, Paul is just arrogant, and he's mean, right? And he's too direct. Again, there are verses like this very last one we read, right, in 24. He says that they praised God because of me. I mean, if you just look at just that one verse and think, wow, he is full of himself. Now, again, I don't believe that that's true. And I think as we look at that, again, it's trying to, to, to understand where he's coming from, okay, with this text and all that, we have to know a little more of the backstory to understand why he comes across the way he comes across. Okay, because the reality, um, as we already learned last week, that he is writing this letter in response to a false gospel that is being taught in the Galatian churches. Hey, and, and again, we, we looked last week at just the foundational truths of what the true gospel are, and, and you can clear that out. And that's exactly his purpose in this letter, is to, to remind them of what the true gospel is. And yet, the false gospel that Paul is addressing with this letter, as we do more historical research and start to look and look at the whole letter itself, and we can start to put the pieces together, because the reality is this letter is a rebuttal. Okay, this letter is a reaction to, um, to some accusations that are being made against him. Okay, th- this letter is, um, is addressing the false gospel that some Jewish Christian missionaries are teaching, not just the churches in, in, in Galatia, but, but others that Paul had started. Because there are these missionaries that are Jewish Christians coming likely from the Jerusalem church that are going in behind Paul of where he has has shared the gospel where he started these churches, and they are teaching these new Gentile believers that they must fully convert to the traditional Jewish law. And they're making these accusations against Paul and saying that he is teaching a false gospel, right? That they now, that they are converted and following Christ, that they need to uh, now live under the Jewish law. And the two main issues that they continue to bring to, to these new Gentile believers is telling them that they need to be circumcised and that they need to live under the Sabbath and festival observances of the law of Moses. Hey, and as Paul is addressing these issues, um, we need to understand um, the importance of this backstory for a few different reasons. Okay, first off is that Paul here is addressing not worldly or non-believer outward influence into the church. He is addressing these rival missionaries from within the bigger C church. And um, as we see, there's competing messages, right? Competing voices. Sometimes that's very real, isn't it? And there's... 
there's all kinds of things that, that we work against and, and that we have to, to speak against, right? And saying, no, this is the truth, right? This is um, the reality. We can't drift, right? And, and yet, again, these, these rival missionaries that are from within the church are coming behind Paul and, and cutting him down at his knees, right? And saying that you, he's only telling you a partial truth, right? And, and again, the, the tone of this letter is, is literally Paul defending himself of the teaching that he has brought. Again, the, the other thing to, re, to remember and to realize about this is, is that these missionaries were not just attacking the doctrine of Paul's gospel, but they were also attacking Paul's integrity as a leader. They, they, they were, they were um, attacking his source, right? Which where we see, again, they were saying that this was Paul's own version, that it was not in agreement with the Jerusalem church or with the revealed word of God. And that his motivation was one of personal gain, not of kingdom mindset. And as we see some of more of this backstory, we understand that, that things that might be construed as arrogance in actuality is Paul's defense of his teaching of the gospel and the freedom that comes with it. And he is defending his own integrity. And so, is it personal? Is it informal? Yes, but he's also incredibly passionate. Right? And we, we understand that, that why he comes at it from this angle, right? Why he comes from it of saying, no, this is where it came from. It came from God. It's not from any human tradition. It's, I wasn't taught it, right? I was, it was given to me by Christ himself. Again, he understand, fully understands all of the Jewish traditions, and he purposely is not enforcing them because God told him not to. Hey, and, and Paul is, is, is responding in this letter and negating the legalism that comes from the law of Moses and from what these missionaries are teaching. Which is where we see in these very first verses that we read today in Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12, um, where we see that the tone changes a little bit here from the text we saw last week, where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the gospel message I preach is not based on your human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. And as, as we look at, again, this is his argument. This is the foundation of what he's bringing and wants them to understand. Yeah, and, and again, this is his thesis statement of this entire section that we're going to look at today. This one, the section that we already read, the rest of one, and all of chapter two. Hey, now notice, though, that he starts out with this address of dear brothers and sisters. Now, we saw last week, he dove right in. I mean, he kind of just got right in their face last week, right? And, and kind of called them out, right, about these, these false teachings that they have. They're following this, right? And they're, they're, they're falling into this trap. And, and now we see this, this address is a little calmer, reaffirming address of the fact that, hey, we're, we're in this together. Right? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And with this statement, he establishes three very clear things. One is that he says, the gospel I'm teaching you is not of human origin. It's not something that, that I um, received from a human source. I was not taught this gospel, and I didn't make it up myself. Right? In fact, that's the whole point of the gospel, is that it's not about him at all. It's about God. Right? And, and again, he says, so how I did get it is I came through a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And he, in this, is, is ref- referencing back to his own story about how he found Christ and came to Christ and changed the, the trajectory of his life and his mission and literally took a 180-degree turn. Right? And that, he addresses that. He says, no, I was persecuting the gospel. I was doing everything I could to stop it until Jesus himself stepped in my way. And, and he's telling his story to them. And he's reminding them of his story that, that they had, I'm sure, already heard. And in fact, this is a story that we find of his, of his conversion on the road to Damascus in, in, in Acts chapter 9. And in fact, if you've never read that story, I encourage you to do that this week. Write that down in your notes. Acts chapter 9. Hey, go back there and read this. Because, and again, it's not from Paul's perspective. It's coming from Luke's perspective as he's telling the story of how Paul was converted. Right? And how, again, the trajectory of his life changed instantly with this, this face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ himself. In fact, this is exactly what should happen in each of us, right? When we receive Christ as our Savior, is that we're going down, you know, the road of life, right? With our back to Jesus, and we're just going and we're pursuing what the world tells us to pursue. And yet when we find Christ and, and we receive him as our Savior, that that's when we join the journey of faith and we turn around. And we start going in on a new journey, in a new direction, towards the cross. Right? Of being more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. And he's reminding them of that. Right? And, and he, again, he tells him that story. And then he continues his defense by literally walking them through the exact filters that he opened up the letter with. Right, to reiterate to them the fact that he is bringing the true gospel to them and that they can trust his teaching and not follow this other false teaching that's being brought by these other Jewish Christian missionaries. Okay, and so I, that's what I want to do today is we're going to literally walk through this text and see how he uses these filters that he put in the beginning and to show them that they can trust what he's teaching them. The first filter that he gave was divine inspiration, not human authority. Okay, and we see that that that, um, again, he reiterates this fact here as he tells them of his story. Right? The, the, the reality was that there was a dramatic change in Paul when he came to Christ. A dramatic change. Right? As, as he uh, again, already told them, right, that, that he started out um, literally persecuting the gospel. In fact, he was persecuting it to the point where the first Christian martyr was killed at the direction of this man. And he literally gets transformed from a murderer to an apostle. And, and he, we see this dramatic change in him. And, and again, he reiterates this in Galatians 1, verses 13 through 16. This is a text that we've already read, but let's look back at it. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. As we see, we see this dramatic change in him, right? He, he went from persecuting the church to being the flagship missionary to the Gentiles with the gospel. A 180-degree turn of his, of his life. And yet, he also reiterates in here there, that that was God's plan. Right? That God, God used his knowledge of the Jewish religion. He was a Pharisee. He was at the top of the, the, the 
the totem pole, so to speak, right, of the Jewish religion. And he knew the Old Testament scripture. He knew the law of Moses. He was, was incredibly passionate about it, and yet God used all that, that gifting, that personality, that knowledge, and now using it, right, for a completely different direction to glorify God, right, and to, to have people find the gospel. There was an incredibly dramatic change from Paul, and it was not a change that was at any human origin. It was a change that only comes from the power of God himself. Uh, again, he's not from divine, or not from human authority, but from divine inspiration. Okay, the other thing that he points out, right, it, it, that about his story, and we learn from his story, is the fact that no one is beyond God's transforming power. No one is beyond God's transforming power. Right, in fact, that is the heart of God, is to save the world. He wants everyone to be saved. Right, and that's why he sent Jesus, to live us in this life, to die and to be resurrected on the third day so that we can all be saved. Again, we can go back to that, the gospel of last week, right, of saying that he loved the world. We all fall, fall short of God's glory. We all need a Savior. And that is the heart of God. That is the intention of God, is to save us all. Right, and, and again, if there might be somebody in your in your life or, or your paths have crossed with or a family member or, or a, a, a person in your past, whatever it might be, you're thinking, I'm not sure God can save them. I tell you, he can't. Hey, there is no one is beyond God's transforming power because the reality is if you would have asked Peter or any of the New Testament apostles or anybody in the Jerusalem church if God was going to save that man Saul, they would be like, no way. Even God can't do that. Guess what God did? Right? No one is beyond God's transforming power. He is the sovereign God, right? He can turn any heart. And, and uh, again, we see that he went from murderer to apostle, right? And yet, in this, we see that, that he, um, again, was transformed, right, from that. He went from persecutor to the persecuted, right? He completely switched sides, Again, you see this in, in, again, verses 23 and 24, right, where it says all they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith that he tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. And I think as we look at this, again, this backstory, understand that he's, he's just defending the fact that, that God did this when he says, right, that they, they praise God because of me. He's not saying that arrogantly. He's saying that as a testimony. Right, of saying they looked at my life and said, there's no way God could ever save him. And then that's exactly what God did. And that means that God gets the glory. Yeah, and in fact, if we look back at those first four filters at the very beginning, that's in verse 5. Literally, it says, to God be the glory. Right, and that's kind of the add-on filter, right? Is, does God get the glory or, or do, does the person get the glory? Right, and it, it, the glory needs to be on God. And that's exactly where he's coming from here. He's just pointing out, he's saying, again, it's not an arrogant statement when he says they praise God because of me. It's just, it's a testimony, right, of saying that I was what everybody would consider unsavable, and yet God still did it. Praise to him. Glory to him, because God did what no human could ever do. As, as we see these, these first things as he gives us in this, this first filter, right? Then he moves on to the next filter, but before we do that, we need to go back to the text, okay? Galatians chapter 2. So hopefully you left your Bible open. 
Okay, let's go. Let's take a look at Galatians 2, picking up at verse 1. Okay, where he says, then, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, and this time with Barnabas, and, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. And while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be the leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that they were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and they did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They, they wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter, the apostle to the Jews, also worked through me as apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift that God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. And as we read this text, we see that, that, um, that Paul is, is continuing his defense, right, of, of his actions, of, of, of this true gospel. And we see that he, he gives them the next filter, right, which was, is there unity in the body of Christ? And he says, absolutely. He says, I've gone back to the church in Jerusalem with the other apostles. We met, we talked, we went through all of this, right? And he says, and we found unity, right? We see in Galatians 2.2, right? This is exactly what he says. He says, I went there because God revealed to me I should go, right? This was an important step, right, in, all, in God's plan. He says, and while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared within the message I'd been preaching to the Gentiles because I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted if I was running the race for nothing. Again, the reality, if it's from God, right, then God's spirit will bring unity. And this was just a confirmation that this was the true gospel, that it was coming from God. It was not made up by, by him or by anybody else, right? That, that God had revealed the same thing to him that he revealed to those other apostles. Regardless of their backstory, regardless of, of all of that, they, they, the same God was giving the same gospel to all of the church leadership. Again, he, what was Paul's intention of doing this? He says, I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement, right? That we were teaching the same truth of who Christ is and how we are saved and the goal of our faith, right? And he found that unity. And then we see the next filter, right, that he tells us to look through is, is it coming with a loving heart? Okay, is there a loving heart behind, you know, what, what we're being taught? Are we representing God who is love? Hey, notice, though, that we see that there were those that did not have that intention, right? We see, again, in verse 4, right, that we just read. He says that even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. 
I think this is important to look at because, again, did they have a loving heart? No, they were there to purposefully cause division. In fact, it says they were planted there for that purpose. Right? To purposefully cause division. And to say that is, again, what, what was, they were not there with a loving heart at all. Right? In fact, they were there with an opposite intention, was to cause division among the believers. And again, what was the route that they took? It's the same route that they were coming into Galatia with. They were coming there saying that, okay, now that you're a follower in Christ, now you need to appear, uh, you know, go under the law, right? The old tradition. Right? And, and, and he addresses the doctrinal problem here, right? The, 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 the core of the theology about the gospel is the fact that we have been set free. We have freedom in Christ. Okay? And, and in fact, that is a, one of those foundational truths, right? Is that the, the, the truth of the gospel sets us free from the bondage of sin. Okay? That we are no longer in that bondage. Okay? That we are no longer a slave to sin. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus says in, in his teaching in John chapter 8, okay, where, where Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you re- remain faithful to my teachings, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. All right, now again, whether um, yeah, we are all, right, like living for something. Okay, and yet the gospel of foundation, we read that verse last week, right? The foundation of the gospel is the fact that we are sin, sinners. We need a savior. And yet we are slave to that sin. We are caught up in that, right? We are um, caught in the trap of sin and the road that it takes down, right? And because, again, Jesus tells us, you know, later in John, in John 10, that, that the road of sin is, and the point of sin, the trap of sin is to steal, kill, and destroy. But in that same verse, in John 10, 10, Jesus says, but my goal is to give you life, and life abundantly, life to the full, right, depending on your translation. Okay, and and the, we have that full life because we have been set free from the bondage of sin. In fact, we go back to Romans chapter 6. As he tells us, now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and a result in eternal life. Right now, again, we, we, our devotion is not any longer to the sinful life, right, or to the sinful nature. Now our devotion is to God. Right, as we've been set free from that bondage, we are now set in motion on this new journey. Right? And this is the journey of becoming holy. Right? He says, this is what you're slave to. You're slave to righteousness, right? or a slave to holiness, depending on your translation. Right? He's saying, and the more that you are obedient to the things that God calls you to do as a follower of him, right, then the result will be eternal life. And that you are, will be transformed by God's Spirit. Now, again, I'm not saying that as a believer, right, one that's set free, that you will never struggle with sin. In fact, that's part of the transformation process. That's part of the journey, right? Is the, the, the further down you get on the journey, the less you struggle with sin. Again, the more you are made holy. Right? And yet, but it's still a process. That's why it's a journey. Right? And yet, as we start that out, we need to know, though, from the foundational 
um, truth of the fact that I have been set free from sin and I'm no longer enslaved to that. I'm now a slave to righteousness. I'm now being transformed by God's spirit every day, right? To be more holy, to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. And that's the journey that we're on. That is the journey of faith. And we see, though, here, again, that Paul is calling them out and saying, hey, these people are not here with a loving heart, right? They are here to keep you in bondage, right? to keep you from growing. And then the, the, the last filter that, that, that he gives us is to look at the foundational truths of the gospel. Right? Again, are these being, uh, being taught? Is it something that I should trust, right? Does it, does it match up with the foundational truths of the gospel? In Galatians 2, 9, and 10, he says, in fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift that God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continue their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. Again, they, they, they looked at the sea and they said, yes, we are on the same team. We are teaching the same things. Right? And the leaders of the Jerusalem church agreed with what Paul was teaching. And they, they, again, agreed on what the gospel was. Okay, and yet, these, again, these other missionaries were coming in behind him and saying, nope, there's this other part that, that he forgot to tell you. Right, this, that now you have to be, um, you know, again, live under these parts of the law because now, right, you, you, you need to be circumcised and you need to, to again, go under the, the directions of, of the law of Moses. And we see there's, there's this, this ongoing struggle, okay, of, of the law of Moses and, and the first covenant, right, and the new covenant of grace. I mean, this, this is not just a change. I mean, this is a foundational um, progression of God's plan, right? They had lived under the old covenant for, a long, for thousands of years. Right? And, and the law of Moses and all that. And, and now, again, because of Christ and because he, he died and rose again and ushered in the new covenant of grace, right? I mean, the veil was torn and, and the, you know, Jesus had come. For all those years, right, they, they lived under the law. And the purpose of the law was to show them that they needed a Savior, that they couldn't save themselves. Right? And yet they had gotten so, so ingrained in, in their own life and their lifestyle and into the old law that it was their comfort zone. And it was so hard for many to move past that into the new covenant of grace. Even though they, they got the foundational truths, right, of grace, and, and Jesus, again, these were Christian Jewish believers. They understood, you know, Jesus, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but yet they were struggling to let go of the past. Okay, and this is what we see in this last section, Galatians 2, 11 through 21. Again, just in sake of time, we're not going to read the entire text, okay, because, well, we just don't have time to do that. But I encourage you to do that okay, and to read it on your own this week. Um, but in this section, we see this ongoing struggle between the tradition of the law and the new covenant of the grace. Okay, this is an ongoing struggle, and it's one that, that they were trying to work through. Okay, and, and in fact, this, this was a tough struggle. In fact, this is in this passage, like literally, um, as as. Um, Paul has been talking about how he's gone with Peter and they've, they've talked and they've, they've come together. And then in this passage, literally he talks about a time he had to call Peter out 
about the struggle that he had, about that when he was with Gentiles, he lived like the Gentiles, and he ate whatever he wanted, and all these kind of things, and then yet when some of these Jewish leaders came around, he, he went over and was just sitting with them, and then he, he, then he, owned, then he lived like a Jew, right? And, and, and he was stuck in this weird teeter-totter of the struggle of the, the comfortable past of the Old Testament law, and yet living, being set free, and living as a Gentile. Yeah, and, and this is a struggle part of it. There's, I mean, there's, there's some, some heritage and some racial things as well. Again, Jew, right? the Jewish religion is also a race of people. And there's, again, there's these layers that are there as well. And there's, this is a very complex issue. Hey, but we see there's an ongoing struggle between the tradition of the law and the new covenant of grace. When we have tradition and we have the new thing that God is doing, there's always tension. And there was tension then. And there's always tension now when we have this tension between our old comfort zone versus being transformed by God's Spirit and moving to a new season. I received in verses 11 through 16 where Paul describes his rebuke of Peter. And in fact, and write down this reference as well, Acts 10, 1 through 11, 18. Again, I encourage you to go back and read that text. This is where, again, this is the text in Acts where God reveals to Peter, and he sets him free from the Old Testament law, and he tells him that he can now eat food that he couldn't eat before. And again, this is a very important thing, right, that God revealed to Peter, again, the pillar of the Jerusalem church, right, as, as he's already pointed out, he was the primary apostle to the Jewish people. And this is, um, I think when we see this and we need to understand that all of this, the bigger thing that's going on here and remember that everyone, regardless of position or spiritual maturity, must fight through the struggle, must fight through the tension of what God has done in the past and the traditions that we're comfortable with and what God is going to do in the future to move us to a new place. Everybody struggles with this. Right, whether it's our struggle with sin, whether it's struggle with tradition, whether it's struggle with whatever, right, is that we, we, we find comfort in our own misery. Right? And then when we're, when we're ready to move on to a new place, sometimes, right, it's, in fact, it's very common when you work with, with addictions or in counseling situations, right, for people to self-sabotage themselves when they start to heal. Okay, because it's uncomfortable to experience something that they have turned to and, or to abandon, right, that that hang-up or that addiction or that abuse or whatever it is in their past. Okay, everyone, regardless of position or spiritual maturity, must fight through the struggle because there's always a struggle between the old comfort zone versus the new thing that God is doing. Hey, we see in James 3, 1 and 2, hey, where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. I get this, there, there's, again, a lot of layers of this, but the reality is what we see here is we see an accountability between Paul and Peter and where they come out, but yet they also, um, he encourages him to say, hey, let's get it right and let's keep going. Okay, and because the, the, as leaders, right, our decisions and our own faith journey, it affects many other people. It's not just about between you and God, and now there are others, and that's what he says in this text, is that now there are other people that are being led astray because of Peter's example. And that's why he's held to a higher standard. That's why we need accountability to live a life of above reproach. That's why God disciplines those he loves, right? There's all of these concepts that come into this. Okay, but the reality is that Paul not only calls out Peter, but he also encourages him to embrace the truth of the gospel 
and to do better. And we see this in Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. Okay, where he says, you and I are, are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. He encourages them and saying, hey, we've been set free, so let's not go back to the legalism that comes with the old law. All right, let's not go back to, the, to what is familiar and, and miss out on what God is doing next. And I think in, in that, whether it's, it's in our own faith journey, right, whether it's the bigger picture that they're dealing with here, like with the mission of the church or any of these things, is we need to, to understand that what got us this far won't take us where we need to go next. Okay, that what got us this far won't take us where we need to go next. And, and again, that, that's part of the struggle is realizing, hey, the law like brought us to the feet of Jesus at the cross. And you're like, absolutely it did, but, but now we got to move to something next. Right, and it's, it's, it's still honoring the past and what, how God used that season. And, and again, that's real. And like, we, we don't want to deny that, but we also need to go where God needs to take us now. Okay, how do we honor the tradition, honor the past, and yet fully embrace what God wants to do next? This is an ongoing tension, right? We see in Galatians 2, verses 18 and 19, okay, he says, hey, um, he says in these verses, he says, rather I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law, and I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. Okay, again, this is not a new struggle. I mean, this is a struggle for us. We can all identify with this struggle. It's not a new struggle. In fact, we see all the way in the, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, right? They had a similar struggle, right, in, in dealing with what God was doing. And when God tells them, he says, but don't forget all of that, right? It, it, but it is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. He says, don't dishonor the past, right? Don't, don't forget it, but realize it's nothing compared to what I want to do, for I'm about to do something new. You see, I've already begun. Do you not already see it? Right? God wants to use our past to move us forward into our future. Again, the old and the new. Works versus grace. Accountability and love. How do we find the right balance? Or how do we manage the struggle and the tension? Right, this is exactly what he talks and addresses to you in the next chapter. And so, again, this is one of these sections, right, where it's like, man, I have, now I have more questions. And that's what he addresses in chapter 3. So, come back next week, okay, as we dive into chapter 3. But the old and the new, the works and the grace, accountability and love, how do we find the right balance? And, and, and as, as we ask that question, right, to say we find the balance in Christ. We find that balance with the Holy Spirit. And again, you, we cannot navigate into the new things God's doing on our own power. That is the foundational truth of the gospel. Not only do we need God to save us through Jesus, but then we need the power of God to move us on as he continues to transform us into a new creation. Right? And, and we see that's my final thought for today, this, which is the way he um, concludes this section in Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21 where he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today. Maybe you're stuck in your comfort zone of sin. Maybe you're trying to do life without God, and if that's true, then say, then die to yourself and invite Christ in. Can you do that, right, by just accepting Christ as your Savior? He's already done the work to save you. Now let him set you free. If you never received Christ as your Savior, I hope you will do that today. If you have, are you, are you pursuing that transformational journey, right, and submitting to God and letting go of the past so he can take me somewhere new? Not dishonoring it, not forgetting it, but, but honoring it as I move forward. Wherever you're at in your life today, I hope you will take a step closer to Christ. You will be transformed by his spirit. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you step in where we fall short. God, that where we struggle, you're ready to pick us up and transform us by your spirit. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we go this week, that we would truly move forward in our faith. God, we would trust in you for our salvation first and foremost. That we would know that we have a restored relationship with you and we're walking with you every day. And as we do that, Lord, we will be transformed by your spirit. Lord, we will be set free and we will live as free every day. And God, by us living our faith and growing in our faith, becoming more like you, Lord, we will show this world what it means to truly follow you, to be set free, to love because we are loved. And God, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that you will shine through us. Lord, you will continue to build your kingdom through every believer. God, build your church. Save the lost. Shine your light in the darkness. And God, continue to transform each of us as we pursue you and learn and grow with everything we have. Lord, thank you for making a way, for saving us, for transforming us, for guiding us every day. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.